Aren't you glad the shepherd gave his life for the sheep? I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But I'm so grateful I'm one of them. Greets you today in the name of the Lord. I didn't think this week was ever going to end. How long has it been since we've been to church? About six months? Man. I know y'all think I'm crazy, but join the crazy crowd. To me, there is nothing like coming together in the house of God, presence of God, saints of God. Look, okay, I'm all right with turkey, but nothing is like lamb. They ate the lamb before the journey, not the turkey. And I miss it when we don't get together and have our portion of the lamb, don't you? God bless you. Let's turn today, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. So appreciate the grace of the Lord today. Appreciate all of you that are here. Those of you that aren't here, we certainly remember you as well. Uh, May God bless you and strengthen you. Those of you that are streaming and like to be here and cannot, may God help you. Uh, certainly appreciate all that the Lord is doing for us and among us and all the different uh, testimonies that we're hearing of things that God's doing, people getting healed. Brother Ron Spencer went back to the doctor and uh, um, many of you may not have known it, but he had, had found cancer in his eye. And um, he went back, back for further tests and they tested him for about four hours looking and looking and looking you know the rest of the story praise the Lord amen that's our God that's our God so we so so appreciate the Lord moving for our brethren now there's just so many things that, that are going on and we certainly appreciate God Let's read about uh, the shepherd. Isaiah 53, 10. This is part of his reconciliation through the act of kenosis, him humbling himself. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. His soul. And what about the blood? Isn't the blood the offering? Yes. Isn't his body an offering? Yes. Wasn't his human nature? Yes. You see, everything about him in his entirety was an offering. But don't leave out the soul. We didn't need more blood. Now we talk about I'm a child of the king. Oh yes, oh yes, his royal blood throws from my veins. Well, Bill and Gaither Glory, when they wrote that many years ago, they had a good thought, but it's not true. It's just simply not true. We do not have the blood of Jesus in our veins. You've got Reagan blood, you know, whatever you are. Spiritually, yes. But it was more than his blood. It wouldn't do a bit of good if he could take the literal blood of the Lord Jesus and drain every drop of my blood out and put his blood back in me. I'd still be a sinner. Because my problem was a soul problem. 
But he will put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall, listen to this prophecy, he shall see his seed. So this Messiah is promised to have a seed or a generation. Wow. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Isn't that just like our Lord? The Spirit God will divide him the portion with the great. And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns right around and divides his reward, his inheritance with us. That's greatness. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out. Notice how many times Isaiah keeps using this word, soul. He has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many, many, and made intercession for the transgressors. My, my. I so appreciate him for that, don't you? How many would like to be remembered today in prayer? Certainly good to see Brother Dow back in church with us today. Our brother's really been going through a lot in his body and certainly appreciate the Lord moving for him. I'd like for you to continue to remember my daughter, Alicia, if you would. She's feeling better, but still not uh, feeling, feeling herself yet. Also, Erica will be taking her fifth chemo treatment tomorrow, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We certainly would you remember your prayers were there. Whatever your need is today, your request in your heart, let's hold it right there as we approach him, shall we? Heavenly Father, just reading your word humbles us, Lord. It makes us feel so small when we read such profound words. For a mortal man to do this for another mortal man would have been something. But for an immortal being, which never had a start, to be willing to condescend to such a level to do this for us, it's truly amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Father, you saw all the hands that were uplifted today signifying needs, requests. The needs of your people around the world are so great. Lord, as the days go by and they turn into weeks, and I hear from saints of yours from South Africa, from France, from Europe, from Zimbabwe, from India, from all over the world, the needs that they have in their lives, their homes, their churches, 
We pray, God, that you would be mindful of the needs of your children. Lord, we know that we say it often here that we are a needy people. We don't say it to signify how great our needs are versus that you are weak. But we signify to you that our needs are so many. And we're taught by the prophet to bring our requests before you and to ask for many things, lots of them, and great things. So we do not feel we're pressing the limit to ask for healing for every child of God. We are not pressing your limit that, oh my, if we would just add one more request, it would make you overdrawn in heaven. For Lord God, we could never overdraw the account of what's laid up in store for those that love you. So we ask for many things today. We ask for healing, for peace, for comfort, for deliverance. Father, we love you. And we believe that you'll take our petition. You'll grant it according to your will. Now as we look into your word and we endeavor, Lord God, to speak about your great things, I pray that you would help me. You see, Lord, I'm a poor, feeble mortal. Dear God, what could I say that would help anyone? What could I do? Oh, I could study. I could apply myself. And I've given hours of preparation to maybe 45 minutes to an hour of speaking. But what good would that do if you don't come and anoint our hearts? So anoint me. Anoint the people. Help them to pull, Father, on what they have need of. Would you grant it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ? And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a great sacrifice. How could Spirit God be pleased with bruising a mortal? How could Spirit God take an element of pleasure by adding grief to a suffering human. You know, in the way that God views things, it's so much different than we do in our minds. And yet Isaiah is able to catch the epitome of that which is going to happen several thousand years after his prophecy. I often wonder, Brother Louis, how it must have been for those prophets as they went into the realm of vision and they would see things that they probably would come back out and they would ponder and wonder, what could that mean? Who was that? Who was it about? And it would leave them no doubt in a state of bewilderment that they were wondering, was that a natural thing? Was that a spiritual thing that's going to happen? What was it? To see the insight that God would have given them, yet the mystery form that God would have kept from them. And yet all they knew to do was just utter it and write it down. With part of what they would say would come those in 
great words of thus saith the Lord. But yet, of part of their prophecies, they would not actually say, thus saith the Lord each time. We read of such here today. But we're able to see by the inspiration of God given to these men as they were so inspired. As David wrote in Psalms 22, and he again captured the great thing that was going to happen at Calvary. But here God actually allowed David to enter so much into the prophecy. It sounded like a drama. It sounded like a play, if you will. That a person was acting out another person's position in something that had been or something that would be or something that could be. He just wasn't sure. But he felt such inspiration that he moved into this personal thing. And it was almost like it was his personality. If you listen real close, you understand why God will have preachers to preach the way they do sometimes. Sometimes they will come in and begin to preach in the first person as if though it is them. Sometimes they'll preach it as if though it's in the second person or the third person. Or they will preach it as if though they are a representative of the great person. And understanding prophecy, we know, takes spiritual people to do so. It's not like sitting down and reading a biography or an autobiography of somebody's life or picking up a newspaper today, reading it in that sense. But it takes people who know the author. And they must be in the spirit of the great composer himself. I like music. I enjoy music. And I always, when I listen to something, you know, that's very, very moving, and I, I like different compositions of music, and I like one that was written many, many years ago called The Swan. It is the carnival of the animals, and it is a classical piece. And I've heard it performed by many different orchestras. And they will feature either a violin or a, a person that plays the cello. They will take it and rewrite it for a cello or a guitar or whatever it might be. And I always marvel because they will take the same sheet music and they will put a little bit of a, a variation on it. Now, the notes on a, a violin are somewhat different than that of a cello. The cello is the, the instrument that is the closest to the human voice, so they say. And that is the range by which it covers. So it sounds more like a human voice. So in the composition that Brother Brennan referred to as Peter and the Wolf, when it was being played, that to use a violin or to use a guitar, it would not be that which would represent the human voice. So depending on what the comp composer would write, he would choose a certain instrument that would be a concerto for a piano 
or it be it might be the ninth composition in A flat minor or B flat or whatever he'd write. And he would write it for a violin. So, well, that's all well and good for a person that plays a violin. But if they don't play a violin and they play a flute, then they may have to take that same composition and rewrite it because their notes are somewhat different. Now there's notes that you can reach on a violin, the the high C, some of the highest notes that's reachable that you cannot reach on other instruments. So you have to understand the music and the composition or the way it's written to be able to make sense out of the whole thing. And God wrote his great story as a drama, but he also wrote it as it was a great composition of music. So in this phrase that we've read here today, it is the composition of the father's drama that reaches a very sad place. It's a place that lay in mystery form in the word for many, many years. People read it, no doubt they tried to understand it. Some of them probably thought it was the Messiah But by the time the Lord Jesus got there, these scriptures were not some of the ones that they were actually looking for in the fulfillment of the messianic coming. But they were looking for a Messiah that would destroy Rome, not sin. So you don't find the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Herodians, you don't find them dwelling on the prophecies of Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 53, 10, Isaiah 61, 1, and 2. You don't find them dwelling on Micah 5, 1, and 2, Habakkuk 3, Jeremiah 31. You do not find them emphasizing Zechariah 14. You do not find them putting their emphasis, but it is on the serpent bruiser of Genesis 3. It is on the coming one of Deuteronomy, the Lord your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. So they were taking part of the notes, if I can say it that way, from the scripture, and they were rewriting the composition to make it fit their day. Instead of making their thought line up with the composition, you understand? They were taking the music notes or the messianic prophecies and were realigning them and they wrote their own music. And they wrote their own story and they took the Father's words and put it together in a different way and made it tell a complete different story. So whenever he appears, according to the original sheet music, they look right at it and they knew it so well that they could roll up a scroll and take a pen and pierce through that scroll and tell you every letter of the word that it would come across. Now that's, I guess, impressible. I'm not sure what good it would do you. I'm not sure what good that would help you to overcome sin, but apparently they must have thought it was outstanding because they did do it that way. But it didn't do them any good. It gave them no understanding of the Messiah, gave them no power to overcome, but they could brag about what they could do, I suppose. So you find with many religious people, that's what religion is about. It's how they're able to succeed and do certain things, and then they're able to brag about what they are. But what I read here this morning gives me absolutely nothing to brag about at all. 
What I read about here today actually gives you and I or no other mortal, I don't care if they're a prophet, if they're a pastor, if they're an evangelist, a songwriter, musician, it gives none of us anything to brag about. Is that right? So there's only one great one, really, that is among us, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. Now, this was a part of the father's drama or the sheet music that they would have looked at and maybe because on this, Brother Louis, there's no, thus saith the Lord after each verse. No, thus saith the Lord after each statement. Now, the same prophet would come over and say, thus saith the Lord, I'll do this and I'll show you a sign. Well, they could take that as thus saith the Lord. But sometimes prophets would just be saying words and they wouldn't say thus saith the Lord and others would look at it and say, well, that was probably just his opinion. Well, it could have been, but it might not have been. Well, you could be in big trouble if you think it was his opinion when actually it was the word of the Lord. Now, we find that even in the day, of course, that we're living in as people want to do our message exactly the same way. But notice then when we go that he was, this was a part of the father's drama which had not been uttered quite so plain as certain prophecies about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and so on. Some of them, it was not necessary for God to conceal the mystery of what he was going to do. But when it come to the messianic prophecies, it was. So God would hide the personality of Christ becoming a human. He would hide it all down through the scripture. Now God was the first one to prophesy of course, and that was in Genesis 3, that there would be a serpent bruiser. And he gave him the gender identification of being a he. I hope that don't offend us. He was a man. That's right, because he was the word and the word is in that person. So God identified him himself that he would come and bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his, again, masculine gender, that he would bruise his heel. So then God would start letting out other things. Deuteronomy 18, 15. And then he would come down to Judges and he would come down to the book of Ruth and he would write the mystery of the messianic power of redemption in the book of Ruth, but he would never say one thus saith the Lord. He would never say, yea, saith the Lord God. But he would write it in a story that had been laying there for years and years and never completely understood until the coming of the Lord Jesus on the earth. That he would take a Gentile and marry her to Boaz, a young woman to an old man, ancient of days, and in this symbol perform the act of kinsman redeemer. Now, to many people that read the Old Testament, they don't, do not stumble them to this day, still do not even consider the book of Ruth to be part of the holy canon of the Old Testament. But to us, it is one of the most precious books of the Bible. Now, why is that? It's because you have the matching piece of the father's drama or the composition from the divine orchestra written in your soul. 
Now you see, for those who have that, now you've seen it as well as I have, that there are certain people and individuals, and my goodness, they never take a lesson in their life. They never go to any formal training or teaching of music. I'm not against that. But yeah, they can pick up a guitar, they can pick up a harmonica, they can pick up anything and just play it. And you say, oh my goodness, where did you go to school? Well, school, what are you talking about school? They never had a lesson in their life. Look at some of our musicians here at the church. My, most of these brothers, if you would show them a treble class, they wouldn't know where to eat it or they wouldn't know what to do with it. If you'd show them some of that stuff about music, but we got some very talented musicians and singers, do we not? And most of them's like myself, they couldn't read one note of music. Now we have people here who can read it, and I'm not against that. But you know, there's such a difference in those that are gifted in the sense that God gave them. I couldn't play a guitar, I couldn't do nothing, going to the little hole in the church that I went to, and they said they needed a guitar player. So you know what they done? They got me up on the platform and they laid hands on me and they asked God to give me the ability to play the guitar. My mama showed me C, G, and E on a guitar and from there it went. Well, my brother Harry never took a lesson. Brother Larry, lots of these other brothers are the same. Never took a lesson, sisters as well. And yet you realize why? Because they were born with the music in them. And there are great talented musicians that are world renowned. But if you would take their sheet music from in front of them, they would not be able to play anything. Now I'm not down on those type of people, but it seems they're missing something from within that links them to the composition of music which cannot be read. Now listen to me, if who knows exactly what the end time will be, they may confiscate our Bibles, they may try to take away our message tapes, it may come to a spot in our nation, who knows, uh, that, you know the way that the left is leaning and all the things that they're doing, I was just told just this week that in our neighboring uh, country uh, that they're going trying to pass a law that for anyone who goes to try to tamper with the gender of a child, a parent will be sent to prison for five years for trying to talk their child out of being perverted, that is lesbian or homosexual. If a minister will minister to them and try to rehabilitate them, a preacher can be thrown in jail for two years. Well, think about it. Now, that's just north of us. So who knows exactly where it's gonna come to uh, before us? But I don't care if they shut us down, if they take our Bibles, if they take our tapes. We already have it written inside of our hearts. It may come to a spot that we have to quit streaming our services. We already have folks that stream anyway that just stream to pick what I say. Well, I welcome you today too. I know who you are. And I know that you stream just to pick. And you stream to find anything in the service that you can find. Well, you'll probably find it since I'm not an angel or since I'm not a Lord God. I'm just a human doing the best that I can. But because of that, there are people that will pick and this and that. It may come to a spot that the brothers around the message will no longer be able to stream their services because they will be looking for this and looking for that and looking for something else in order to get us in trouble with the law. Now, this is the type of people, believe it or not, friends, we are going through a religious persecution. 
I hope you understand. We've looked about it. We've talked about it for years and years. And who is doing a lot of it? Former message people that sat right among us. They are under an anointing of a religious persecution. You gonna preach with me? But you know what that tells me? Brother Darren and I were talking about it before I come out. That tells me that the bride is closer to the image of the Lord Jesus than maybe we've been thinking. Because remember, he not only walked on water, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out devils, but he was persecuted like no one else. They sent people to his meetings so that they might be able to catch him in his words, according to the book of Mark. According to the book of Luke, lawyers came tempting him to be able to set traps for him in his words. And we have the same thing repeating again today. But of course, it's only happening among who? The real people of God. Amen. I wonder if the bride's not getting closer to that image. My, we want miracles. We want supernatural. I don't want to just bear that image of the Lord Jesus. I want to bear that image of one that is hated. That is run down. That is, come on, saints. That is part of being the bride of Jesus Christ. He was the most hated individual that had ever been on the earth. And you want to get out of here without being despised? It ain't going to happen. Notice Isaiah says again in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his sin. Now, not his soul only, but also his body, his whole human nature, his blood, his spirit, the divine person that was made in the form of a human being. So to make atonement and bring expiation for our sins, Notice in Matthew 26, 38, whenever Jesus has went out in the garden to pray, he says unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Now, no doubt his body was feeling pain already. Uh, he, was, he was feeling agony, but it was not just in his body or in his spirit, but in the Lord Jesus' soul, he was starting to feel this exceeding sorrow. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Nobody else could ever say it quite this way. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now notice in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through, notice the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. So through the eternal spirit, he offered himself. Now himself, of course, is the union of soul, spirit, and body. Now he offers himself in a vicarious position standing for you and I that he would be able to pay the price in order to redeem us. I'm not talking about just being saved. I'm talking about the bride being saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, having the very life of the Lamb of God himself living inside of us. 
Notice this, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Christ offered up himself freely, voluntarily, and gave everything about him. Not only his humanity, but his divinity as well. Notice Ephesians 5, 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So we were lost. We were stinking as it was. We were wretched out of the presence of God, but the Lord God made a way through the perpetuation of a lamb that the lamb could come and his blood would cleanse us, his soul would be released, and actually allow us to receive a part of his soul. And then our bodies will be changed at the end time to be likened to his own glorious body. 1 John 2, 2, and he is the perpetuation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we loved God. Your love of being a Christian has nothing to do with you choosing God first. You loving God. God loved you before you ever existed. He chose you before the foundation of the world and wrote your name on the Lamb's book of life. Oh, thank God. Here it is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, which is the word made manifest in a human body, to be the perpetuation of our sins. Now notice in Isaiah also holds a mystery here, which was part of the Hebraistic looking, the way the Hebrews would look at it, Hebraistic was the way that they embraced the Hebrewism. And one of the two things that they looked at as far as a blessing of God was generations. One of the greatest things that a man could live to see was not only his children, but his children's children. So if a man lived long enough to see his children and his children's children and his children's children, that man was considered to be so blessed by God in the way the Hebrews looked at it as longevity of life was a great blessing. So then having long life was a tremendous blessing. Also having seed, Yet the Lord Jesus chose not to be married. He chose not to be a married man in the natural, but Isaiah prophesied he would have seed. How is that possible if he's not gonna be married? Unless, of course, his seed will come another way. Glory. Notice, he says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. So now here Isaiah taking that Hebrewism and applying it over to the Lord Jesus only in a glorified form, that the blessing of the spirit would be so upon him that he would actually see his seed. Well, how in the world is he gonna see his seed? He'd never even married a woman when he was here. But this is part of the blessing of God, which will carry over not only
only from the Hebrew view of looking at it, but over into the Messianic kingdom in the millennium and also in the eternity in the eighth day. Notice he shall see his seed. So the highest regard of the blessing given to what? Can't you see why that Abraham, now in our modern society in the Western world, you know, if a man does not, he doesn't have the ability to father children, there's something wrong with him, or his wife cannot bear children. My, it's a burden for many of them, and they pray and they pray, and even as sad as it is for us, it's nothing like it was for them. Because for them, it was part of your part of your blessing, part of your posterity. So for the Lord Jesus to not leave a generation coming to the earth with their view. Now this is why Abraham so rejoiced that he was finally gonna have a son. And then his son had a son. Then his son had sons. And on down, it was the greatest height of the blessing of God on their life. And yet the Lord Jesus is gonna come to the earth as the seed of Abraham. He's not gonna be married, not gonna have a wife, and he's gonna have seed. Wow. Oh my Notice Isaiah 53, 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? So there's going to be a generation of Christ? Jesus? Who shall declare his generation? Every day you live a godly life, you're declaring it. Now look, friends, many of us, the older we get, the more we look like our mama or our daddy or whatever more, you know how that goes. Depends on whether you like the way they look, whether or not you're proud of it, I guess. Or you look like your Uncle Fred or you look like so-and-so and so, and there's just something about it. Or maybe you got little ways that you do, you know? Brother Homer Arnold always had certain things that he did and a certain smile about him. I was privileged several years ago to get around one of his brothers. I mean, it, it startled me when I got around him because he looked so much like him and certain things that he done. I thought, Oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. He he was so much like him. But what was it? It was a strain that that ran in that family. You know, it was just like, oh my. And so is it in a divine strain in the family of God. Now, Brother Homer Arnold's brother, those of you that knew our brother, what a precious brother he was, if you'd never even know his brother's name, but if you knew Brother Homer, Homer and you'd get around that man, you'd look and say, I know I've seen you before somewhere. You're acting like somebody that I've seen or I've known. No, not really just him, but it was a gene trait that was inside of there. Put me and Peter side by side and you'd say, y'all act like you're brothers. Put me and Paul side by side, amen. Put me and James side by, come on Happy Valley. Put the first century church beside Happy Valley Church and what would people say? Y'all act, do, preach, behave just like they did. Thank you, thank you. That is a compliment to us. Now can you imagine putting me beside a Catholic priest? And I'm sitting there looking and say, what'd he say? And him looking over me and say, what'd he say? We ain't from the same family. Well, praise God. I'm glad I don't belong. 
My, people think they're bringing a shame and a reproach on me by identifying me with Malachi 4. That's one of the greatest compliments after being saved and being filled with the Holy Ghost that you can do. You want to brandish my name around the world and try to make me feel humiliated because of it? My name's done been around the world and I ain't humiliated, friend. I'm proud to be identified with Luke 17, 30, Revelation 10, Malachi 4, 5, 6. I'm glad to be identified with the message of the end time. It's the message that's going to get us out of here. Hallelujah. Who shall declare his generation? A question. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Now watch him approach, approaching this in the form of a question of a consecutive generation of a paternal parent. Who will declare his generation? He was cut off before he was able to get married. Who will be, be his seed? How will he ever have descendants? His soul. You've heard the term soulmates, haven't you? <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> he had no wife, or so they thought. He had no seed, so they thought. He had no generation. He was cut off in the land of the living, but the cutting off made the way for the multiplication of his seed. Had he lived, you and I could not been here to this day. Had he come to the earth and healed the sick and walked on water and raised the dead and lived here for three years or 30 years or 3,000 years and never gave his life and went back to heaven would still be lost today. But because he chose the oh my, the narrow path, he chose a harder way, the way of death. Oh, hallelujah. That's my Lord. That's my conquering master. Because he chose that way, he made a way for you and I to sit here today and be redeemed by the power of the Holy Ghost to have our old nature, our old husband annihilated. And when they say, who can declare his generation? We can say, I do. I do. I am one of his seed. I am one of his children. I declare his generation. He would have a holy seed. A church of the New Testament. St. John 12, 24. The Greeks come to Philip of Bethsaida and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. So Philip bringeth them to John, and John then, of course, brings them on to the Lord Jesus. So they come to see Jesus, and they make their introduction of however it was they did. These are Jesus' introductory words to them. St. John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What a hello. <laughs> Praise be to God. What a how are you? What a greeting. What a shalom. Oh, can you imagine going to meet a person for the first time of your life and they say, except a corn of wheat die. Oh my, fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it shall bring forth more fruit. And you're sitting there thinking, I just wanted your name. He gave you his name. Oh, glory to God. He gave you his name. He gave you the interpretation of his mission on the earth. He gave you the prophecy of what's fixing to come to pass. He was the corn of wheat, but he didn't want to live in heaven by himself. He didn't want just one like that. But if God, the spirit, will plant him, there will be another and another and another and another and another. They will be all over the earth filled with the spirit of God. His generation. Hallelujah. Hebrews 2.10 For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Notice the way Paul writes this. He doesn't say bring folks that aren't his but bringing sons to glory. St. John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep and my father loveth me. All that ever become before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them for my sheep know my voice. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Aren't you grateful, friends? Oh, my. Some people, you know, it's so, so sad that you're the Bible read. St. John 10 and 30, I and my Father are one. 1 Timothy 3, 16, without controversy, greatest and mystery of God and this God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, testified to the world, preached to the Gentiles, all that. They read that and they still see two or three. But you read it and you don't see two or three. What do you see? The shepherd. You're the shepherd. Why? You've got that part of the sheep music by representation identified in you. Oh my, you don't want to be like Beethoven. You don't want to be like Bach. You don't want to be like them. You want to be like the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11, for both he the sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. His seed, his generation, for which cause he is not ashamed 
to call them brethren. Now imagine some of my siblings, they might be a little bit ashamed let folks know Donnie Reagan's their brother. <laughs> that might be quite risky. I don't know, some of my family down in Kentucky, they might not be very proud of me. But as long as Jesus is. I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus can come over and put his arm around me, brother, down and say, how you doing, bub? Glory to God. You imagine to be servants. To be a servant is more than I deserve. But that he would call us brothers, sisters in his economy. Not slaves, not servants. Bow down before me, I'll crack the whip. No, the family. The family, don't you see why Satan don't want you to see who you are? Don't you see why he tries to keep it away from you? This is the way he sees you. This is the way the Lord Jesus sees you. He's not ashamed of you. Notice this in verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. But he wasn't married. He was cut off. You kill an ordinary man, he'll never be able to father children again. You kill the God man, you give him the, you give him the opportunity needed to cause a child explosion. Woo! Hallelujah! You give him the needed opportunity for the seed life to pour out of that corn of wheat which was the soul, which allowed the very life of God to come out and regenerate, 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 regenerate. It's still regenerating to this very day. Satan has tried to burn it. He's tried to stomp it out. He tried to crucify it. He'll never do it. Why? Because his generation will be declared to the last seeds brought in. Behold I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him. Wake up, devil! Listen what's fixing to happen to you, old boy. Destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Don't you understand why he's raging like never before? He knows his time is short at hand. Church folks sitting around asleep. A lot of folks sitting around asleep, but the devil ain't asleep. That's why he's fighting with everything he's got. So what does the new birth do to us? What's this? The prophet said they become a new creature. You're a new nature. They're, they're a new being, a new creature. That The Greek word says 
a new creation. It's a new creation. You've been recreated again from what you were to the image of a son of God or a daughter of God. It's just an awe. It's the greatest miracle that ever happened when a sinner can be made to become a Christian. Praise be to God. I wonder if we shouldn't get up every day and thank God we are the greatest miracle, one of them that God ever did. Or you just say, well, I'm saved, well, I'm saved. There's no way in the world this revelation is striking our hearts like it ought to. We would not go around Brother Louis with our chin hanging down around our bootstraps. We would not go around but so down and so defeated all the time. You are the greatest miracle that has ever been in God's creation. For God to take you a sinner man, a sinner woman, lost as we would say, on your way to hell as we would say, and God transforms you and actually, oh my, changes your whole being, takes that old nature out and puts in part of his own divine nature and sets you to music. (laughs) Glory be to God and your, oh hallelujah, your life, your steps, your talk, your speech, your behavior, what is it doing? It's playing out the divine symphony of God. What's this in question answers? Please explain the difference between the spirit and the soul. Well, now, that's a hard one, he says. The first thing, you are a triune being. Just like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh. So you're a triune being. So when God made man in his own image, he was talking about not images, as in two men, took Jesus' nose, took the Father's ears, took Jesus' hands and the Father's lips. The the Spirit only has one image, and that's Jesus. But when he made man in his own image, it involved the mystery of what God was. That he was the invisible, the great Spirit. But he had a visibility about himself, which was the condescending form, which at that time was not Jesus, but it was the word. And then God would condescend in order. How many has the spirit of God in you today? You have the spirit of God? So does that mean there's all these different versions of the Holy Ghost? Well, now do you have, if, if, if God now is just one person, if I've got him, all the rest of y'all is deceived. You ain't got God. You just think you got God. If God's only one person, you don't live in one house. Because I know I got him. If there ain't but one person in the, in going to the rapture out of Happy Valley, you're looking at him. And y'all ought to feel exactly the same way. You say, sorry, Brother Donnie, it ain't you, it's me. <laughs> but God had a condescended form in spirit form, which is Holy Spirit or son of God down through the church ages. Not the physical body now. So you can have him, you can have him, you can have him. He can be dwelling all over the earth today in the tabernacles of humanity and it doesn't weaken his presence one bit in heaven. 
What is it? A condescension of the Father again in spirit form. Jesus was the condescension of the Father in human form. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is the condescending form of that eternal God and a multi-aspect body that he can live all over the world at the same time, hallelujah, and them scattered thousands of miles apart. Notice he says, Father, Son, Holy Ghost is three titles to one person, which is Jesus Christ. And you're soul, body, and spirit. But it takes those three to make you. With just one of them, you're not you. It takes the three to make you. Now, watch, skip on down a little bit in this. And he said, the soul is the nature of that spirit. Then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it does not do nothing. It changes or converts your spirit to a different soul. And that soul is a different nature that's on that spirit. So the soul is the nature of your spirit. First, you were mean and evil and hatred. Well, where's, where's drinking and smoking? And it's amazing to me, friends, how folks limit worldliness to drinking and smoking and running around. And they can be as mean as I don't know what. Meanness is an attribute of the devil. Hatred is an attribute of the devil. Notice how he talks about that we're converted, what we're converted from, evil, hatred, malice, strife. Now you're loving, sweet, kind. See the difference? It's your nature. Well, I'll call it that. It's your soul that's been changed. Ladies and gentlemen, due to the power of this next quote, we invite you to buckle up your seatbelt, bend over and put your head between your legs and get ready for a fast takeoff. The old soul died. And the new soul, which is the new nature, was born into you. Paul said the same thing except he used the terms old man, new man. Notice again, you must be born again. So in order, if you're born again, you got a new parent. Then you got a new nature. The old nature's dead, and you got a new nature. You once was going one way, now you're going another way. You was once going this way down, now you're going this way up. Your affection are set on things above, a new affection. You don't love the things of the world no more, your affections of God. A new nature, a new being, a new creation, nature of your father, and you believe and love every word that he said. Amen. Every man's word is a lie contrary to his word. And this is God's word. See, the Bible, that's right. I don't care what the church says. The Bible's still right to you because your nature has been changed. You see, even when you were a little boy or a little girl, there was something in you that was different. I'm thinking right now of a great violinist from Indiana, 
from the United States, the state of Indiana. This music was born in him. Yet nothing like it was in his parents or grandparents. But they would go to his room and find him taking rubber bands and stretching a rubber band from one dresser drawer to another and plucking on that rubber band and pulling the drawer out and it would expand the tension on the rubber band and change the tone or the key of the rubber band. Now, Brother Jeremy, don't you go home and play the rubber band. Now, where did he get that? He had not gone to school yet. Where did he get it? The music was born in. If you ever heard him play, you can see it. You can hear it. Hallelujah. When you were a little boy or a little girl, there was something in you then. I might inject a little bit of doctrine here. If you don't believe it, it's quite all right. I do. I believe that when you was a little boy, a little girl, there was a seed placed inside of you. He said, God, rich in mercy, 1965. You want the page, paragraph, date, and you want the auditorium name he preached it in. There was a little something inside of you. Seemed like it didn't bother other kids, but there was something inside of you. Oh, glory to God. What was it? Oh, you didn't know how to stretch the rubber band. You didn't know how to find your way to God. And you run around and done this and that and the other. But God said, that's my boy. That's my girl right there. She's not playing my music now. She's bopping her head and dancing to the devil. But after a while, I'm going to get a hold of her. Hallelujah! After a while, I'm going to get a hold of my boy. And I'm going to set his feet on the right path. He's going to walk down the bars of the music. He's going to march down through that. Praise God! He's going to do what I want him to do. He's going to say what I want him to say. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my daughter. That's my son. They belong to me. Well, you know what we all started out with. The first, first notes of a redeemed life. Amen. God save me. God forgive me. God help me. What was happening? Just finding your place in the bars between the music. What was your first notes? Repentance. Repent and be baptized. What were you doing? Following the sheep music of Acts 238. Oh, glory to God. It might have been 10 years from the time you repented till you found the right water baptism, but you finally found it. Or may I say, it found you. You went down in titles, you was baptized in the Baptist church and the church of God in the Presbyterian, and one day you got baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. God's setting you right in line with your part of the composition. We're just born a Christian by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are Christians by birth. That makes us new creatures. 
in our old nature, we could never be Christians. You see, this is the way that many folks believe and preach redemption and salvation. They're preaching. It's that old man. You get it, that old man, and God kind of washes him down and scrubs him over with a little bit of Clorox and, you know, just slaps him around a little bit, hits him and pulls him out of there. Praise God, he's brand new. No! He dies. That's the reason today we have so many calling themselves Christians and live any kind of life. They've never experienced that born again. That's something that changes you and takes that life out. Like pulling the blood out of a man that's got a certain type of blood and putting another type in him. It's pulling the life out of the man and injecting the life of Christ in the believer and then he becomes a new creation. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve Don't you understand the difference between a Christian making mistakes and your life as a sinner? In sin, sin was your master. But once you get converted, you change ownership. You're not your own. You belong to him. You've got another master. But Brother Donnie, will I make mistakes every day of your life till your humanity is changed? But you are not serving sin. You hate sin. You despise sin. And Satan lays a snare for you and catches you in your weak time. And you have to say, oh Lord, please forgive me. I didn't mean to say that. Lord, I didn't mean to do that. I fell short of your glory. Why? Because sin's no longer your master. By the old man. What is it? Very same thing the prophet said. Used a different term. It is the corruption of our first nature. They ruled us, dominated us. It told us to drink, we drank. It told us to act like an idiot, we acted like an idiot. We smoked, we took somebody else's wife, somebody else's husband. We made fun of the people of God. Paul said he blasphemed ignorantly. Come on now. What is it? The poison left from the original serpent bite. The venom of a toxic fallen nature was injected into the human race after the bite of the serpent. But God says, I will produce a seed which will kill that snake. So let the devil call up. Let him say, I'll do this and I'll do that. But we can look at old Copperhead right back in the face and say, you ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no poison on me. 
you ain't got no hold on me because I done got injected with another injection. And it ain't serpent venom. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus didn't give me a little antidote to kind of help me every now and then. Well, you know, I can't keep from sinning. I got to go out and run around on my wife. I got to do this and that and other. Oh, no. He didn't give me a little antidote that would help me till the next time. He gave me an absolute cure that took the venom, the venom of the serpent bite out of my soul and said, here, Donnie, here's a complete new nature. Because if God only patched up the old one, the serpent fang marks would still be in me. Man, we're just now getting to the good part. (laughs) Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, that the body of sin, you see, sin is conceived as a living power. Paul addresses it as if though it's an organism, a living instrumentality. Don't you understand why people cannot quit sinning? This is actually a reality in sinners. Not only in sinners, but those that are saved and some of them even sanctified. That's why they don't have the power to quit doing stuff. They can quit it for a week or two or a month or three. And they go right back to it again. Why? Serpent. The old nature is still there. Praise be to God. Romans chapter 6 verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. I know we've read these statements here. I'm fixing to read you again, but they are so good. I just figured this might be the one, two, three punch that would knock the devil out. This Invisible Union, I'm telling you what, I've been listening to it for about the last month and a half over and over, sometimes three and four times a day. And uh, you don't know what you miss by not doing that. Oh, man, then I say, what was I at the other time? Was I on Mars somewhere? What, What in the world was I at that I missed this? Listen to this. You must be dead to your first husband. If you're united to Christ and still married to a denomination, you're an adulteress. You are a Laodicea. To be in the bride, you have to be remarried to the word of God, which is Christ. In the beginning was the word. Oh my, when the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. As long as you hold to man's tradition of denominations, you're called in God's word an adulteress. The first life of your first union. You were joined in at birth. So you got born and got married the same moment. Think of it. When you took the breath of life, you were born, right? And married. To what, Brother Donnie? Your first nature. Now, if you look real close, you'll find out in this natural act on the earth, when you really become married to Christ the Word. Many of you have been in church for years and years. You wouldn't really feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, you got tongues, you got this and that and the other. Some of you sitting while a man of God was preaching the Word. 
And it moved from your spirit right over into your soul. And when that move took place and your soul was born, regenerated. Look at the word regeneration. It is regenerated. You got regenerated. That's when you were recognizing your position on the earth as being a part of the bride of Christ. That's why you were satisfied being called a Baptist or being called a Methodist or a church of God. Well, I go to this church, that church. Why was a longing inside of you to want to be called bride? Why was it? Because there's a bride call going out. And when did you realize it? When did something start forming in you when you took the breath of spiritual life and God breathed into that gene seed of yours? Lord, have mercy. What happened to you? A recognition began to come to that seed. I no longer call you church. But I'll call you bride. You were remarried or reunited to another nature. The first life of your first union, you were joined in at birth by nature, a natural act. A natural human being associated, man and woman together, in sexual affair which brought your first life here. That's associated with sin and death. How can you miss seeing the serpent seed? It was nature associated with death. Your first husband that had the rule over you was your nature. But when did you get married? When you were born. Some of you said, I do. When was it the gene of God become quickened? And we answered to him from the soul. Something pulling on us. We couldn't identify it. We didn't even know what it was. Many of you run from God just like I run from God. You run from the great truth of the word of the hour. But you couldn't get away from it for nothing in this world. There was something inside you calling. There was an eagle of a seed down inside of you. Hallelujah. When was it? Ah, you. Your soul receives the breath of God. It's one thing I love about that eagle story. Brother Bram talks about it many places. But Invisible Union, when he talks about it, and he said that little eagle down that barnyard looked up and he saw a creature in the sky like he wanted to be. Now, can you imagine him wanting to be that? And all he ever knew was, come on, honey. Yeah, mama. He get them big old feathers around there and they just look at him. <laughs> you imagine him getting on a roost pole. Just setting up her teeter tottering all night long. Rockabye, baby. Setting up her, he said, What that, that guy? Uh, and that mama said, Poor little old young man. He don't fit in the oneness. He don't fit in the Trinity. He don't fit in the Catholic. That's the way we are. They look at us and they say, Poor old ignorant thing. Poor old things. They don't fit in the church world. They don't fit in the Baptist. They don't fit in the world. Hallelujah to God. They don't fit among all of us mainstream. Amen. They don't fit among all of us big sisters. That's right. We're the little rejected cousin waiting for our husband. Glory be to God. How in the world would he know? How would he know? 
had never seen a mirror. Now, be honest with me. Have anybody ever seen a mirror in a hen house? Chickens don't need a mirror. But eagles do. Brother Bram said those terms over and over again. Let's use the mirror of his word. Chickens don't need a mirror. They don't want to see what they look like. But eagles want to know. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? You imagine that deep down inside of him wondering, why do I have these big things? Look at all them little chickens. They can get around so much easier than I can. These things have been a bother to me all of my life. Look at my big old feet. Look at my beak. It's all hooked over. It's so aggravating trying to eat corn with a hooked beak. It just gets in my way all the time and them little old bugs out of the manure pile and everything. It's them little chickens. Oh, this is so good. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. And he just... Wow, that pig was made to rip. That beak was meant to eat the fresh manna. Hallelujah. Let's stand. I know, I know, I know. Let's stand. Brother Donnie, don't leave that little guy in the barnyard. Well, some of y'all was in there for 50 years. Sure didn't wait another week. Praise God. Oh, children, don't you love him with all your heart? Hallelujah. Your desires was by nature to love the world which you're a part of. You're a part of nature. You believe that. It's your natural thing. That's the reason you have to be born again. You have to separate. You have to die to that first husband. You can't live with it. You can't just say, well, I'll divorce him and hang him up here till the occasion. No, sir. No writing of divorcement. He dies. The nature of the world has to die. Every speck of him. And you have to be reunited again with another nature. Another husband. Praise God. Another husband. Which takes place when? Your other birth. Then things begin to make sense. Things you wondered about. Pondered about. All your life. This is why you begin to see clearly say, Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I don't make you go around being a stuffed shirt, puffed up. I'll tell you one thing. I'll say this. No, you ain't got it right if that's the attitude you got. If you get grace right and you find your part in the harmony, you'll realize it's his mercy to you, his grace to you. Not what we've done. No, it's his grace. You're talking about love and mercy. He would save us, then give us strength to live the life Call us to do all the variety of works that we're called to do. He gives us strength to do those works. 
And then at the white throne, when we stand before him, not for judgment, but for rewards, he turns around and rewards you and you and you and you and you and you and me and all the people that do what they're supposed to do. He rewards me for the work that he helped me to do. Or wouldn't it be fair just for him to take the reward? He don't want to do it that way. These are his seed. Don't you remember Abraham praying? Lord God, Adonai, who will be my heir for this one Eliezer of Damascus is the only one that can take what I have. And the Lord God comes back and says, this will not be your heir, but one born of your own body will be your heir. Now, with the Jewish concept, they would have looked at the Lord Jesus not being married and not having children. Oh, he was awful anyway, in their view. A renegade, a rebel, just terrible, and never even left no children. Oh, he was just the lowest of the lowest of men. No wife, no children, no second generation, no third generation, nothing. So his name, they thought, his name, the name Jesus, would be abolished out from among Israel. Difference in thinking and knowing, ain't there? That's what they thought. But God said, I'll give him a name that'll be every other name. It'll be above all that the family in heaven and earth will be called by that same name. But the Jews thought, he'll have no children. He'll have no children. But on the day of Pentecost, the devil thought, he's got kids. He's got kids. Oh, no. How did this happen? I was looking for the wife. She was hit in him, devil. Here they are. There's 120 acting just like he did. Hallelujah. Amen. May I say to hell today, he's still got kids. And we are declaring not our generation, but his. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great words. Now our new life is declared in the new book, the Lamb's Book of Life, our marriage certificate. Many times, Lord, have I stood here and married couples, depending on which county they get their license from, Carter, Unicoi, Washington. Carter, I have to hand carry them. So many times when I go in, I'll hand carry it in, and then I'll pick up their legal copy. It is registered, identified under the law of the state of Tennessee that they were officially married. And then I will hand carry their certificate if they want me to back to them. They can put it on their wall. Praise God. My old union wasn't divorced. That old man ain't paying me alimony. I don't want his money. I don't want his filthy hands on me no more. But my old man is dead. And I got remarried. Got a new nature. That little eagle of a seed inside of me 
a soul of God that was in God. Glory to God. For that seed which was in you, that germ was to be you before the foundation of the world. But it couldn't be me as long as the first nature was king. There couldn't be two kings in my life. So somehow you got me to reason and you got me to seeing that I was wrong. Praise God. And when you did, I surrendered. And when that moment of surrender came, you took the life of that old nature. He died right there in me. He died. And you breathed into that little seed the breath of life. And I got remarried, reborn, regenerated. And I got another marriage certificate. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. It ain't got my seal of Donnie Reagan revivals. It don't have the notary seal of somebody here. There's a couple notaries here in a church. It don't have their seal. It don't have the stamp of Carter County. But it's got the token life of the almighty God himself. Praise God. Oh, glory to God. We worship you today, Jesus. Help us to realize, Father, this is not just a message so much for those who ain't saved, but this is a faith-building, revelation-positioning message for those who've been saved for 40 years to realize who we are in Christ Jesus, to take courage for the hour of trouble, the hour of destruction that lays before us is only our going home call. Praise God. For out of this word, we will hear the bridegroom's call. Go ye out to meet him. Go ye out to meet him. It's at that midnight cry. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. How many wants to be ready with all your heart? With all your heart. Maybe if you need the Holy Ghost today, just, just raise your hands. Or if you need healing in your body, whatever you need. Look, friends, we believe and declare that the mighty God is among us. But if God is here, then supernatural is here. You see, the true church that Jesus claims as his own is the church that's Mark 16 in action. And by the grace of God, we just happen to be one of those churches. They shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll cast out devils in my name, right? You'll be representatives of me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And it will be what? Deity inside of you. Praise be to God. Brother Darrell, would you come and pray over the people, their needs? Not only those of you that are here visible, those of you on the internet today that are streaming, maybe you've got needs in your body. Whatever you have need of, it's not how big your need is. It's not how bad the doctor said it was. 
Can you imagine the doctors looking and scanning and looking and scanning and Brother Ron Spencer's eyes looking for cancer and couldn't find it. And he said, the doctors were amazed. Oh, that sounds like my daddy's work. Amazing grace, amazing healing, amazing deliverance. Whatever you need is in your heart today. Let's agree today with Brother Darrell while he prays. Shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we believe the report today. We're amazed, dear God, that through these stories of a mirror and an eagle, we can see who we are, Lord. Oh, God, not an outcast, but your people, dear God, that you chose. A vessel, if you will, that you would manifest yourself through. And Lord, today as a body of believers on the earth, we stand united. On behalf of our brothers and sisters, Lord, those that are in need today. God, those for a closer walk, those that would be afflicted, dear God, those that would be depressed, Lord. Those that would be battling, but yet, God, we stand united as a body. And we say, flow through us, Holy Spirit, from one to the other, dear God, to confirm your word. For you said, Lord, you would be with your people and you would do these things in the last days, dear God. And we believe we are that generation that will declare, Lord, that you're alive. And the same today as you was yesterday, Lord. And the same that you'll be tomorrow if there is a tomorrow. For you are the unchanging God who has anointed us in this hour, dear God. God. And Father, we pray today, may it rain down upon your children, dear God. Lord, may the afflictions leave them. May depression leave them today. Lord, those that lack the Holy Ghost, may it fall upon them today, oh God, and receive that which belongs to us, Lord. For you have given us these things through the promise of your word, dear God. And we receive it today. And Lord, we say to these things, to these illness, no more in the name of Jesus Christ. We rebuke you, Satan. You're a defeated being you have no hold on us break your hold today by the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus and by the same anointing that raised our Lord from the grave may that same anointing today move upon every heart upon every home dear God Lord as we come down to the end of 2020 and we look forward to another year may we rise to the challenge that lays ahead dear God oh Father for we believe Lord we will not leave here defeated but every devil will be under our feet, Lord, because we do not survive Laodicea, but we overcome Laodicea because the overcomer is within us today. Oh, God, may your spirit move, Lord, upon every need, upon every home, we pray. God, may the testimonies come in because thou art an awesome God, and we believe you, God, for the impossible. What is cancer unto thee, Lord? What is depression unto thee, Lord? What is back trouble unto thee? Thou art God, Lord, and we declare your name in the midst of the camp. We declare our freedom. We declare our liberty today. For we are bought. We are the blood-bought bride. Blood keen, Lord. Hallelujah. Blood keen to the bridegroom. How we thank you for it today, Lord. How we thank you for this word of God that we heard, Lord. And we receive it into our souls, Lord. That it may bring forth fruit to thy kingdom. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Our shortcomings, we pray. 
and mold us into that image that you had of us in your mind before there was a world. Grant it, O oh God, today we pray. Oh, Father, may the people receive these words, Lord, for we become the word as we receive the word. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. And the church said, Amen. Come on now.
Let's sing this just before we leave this morning. Have you enjoyed church? Do you appreciate the word of the Lord? From the oldest Christian to the newest convert, that message was for every one of us today. You that want to be saved, it's for you too. Praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. You are awesome in this place, mighty God.